Peace to you, brothers and sisters. Peace and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around them on all sides. There were very many on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these dry bones come back to life? And I answered, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I'm about to make breath into you, so you will come back to life. I will attach tendons to you. I will put flesh on you. I will cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you will come back to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, in fact, a rattling as the bones came together, as each bone connected to the right bone. As I watched, tendons appeared on them, then flesh came on them, and he covered them over with skin from above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind that this is what the Lord God says. From the four winds, come, O breath, and blow into these slain, that they may come back to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Breath entered them, and they came back to life. They stood on their feet, a very large army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They are saying, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We have been completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them that this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and when I raise you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit in you and you will come back to life. I will settle you on your own land and you will know that I am the Lord. What I have spoken, I will do, declares the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when Jesus raised that young man at Nain, he had died that morning. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, she had just passed away within the hour. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Even his sister said, no, you don't want to open up that tomb. The decomposition's going to stink. He's rotting. When he came out, he was not rotting. God took care of that. It's one thing to rise somebody who's been dead four days where the tissue's still there. But bones? Bones that are so dry because they've been dead so long that you put everything together. And it's an important question to ask, how can he do that? So the question we're going to ask as we work through today's sermon is, how does the Lord give life to what has been dead a long time? Now we've got to put this prophecy in its context. Israel had broke the covenant one generation after another, and they would worship any God but the true God in his truth and purity. God kept warning them. Finally, 150 years earlier, he sent the Assyrians and they hauled off everybody except for those who lived in Judah. Judah with its capital of Jerusalem where the temple was. And then Judah didn't learn its lesson. So God allowed the Babylonians to come and they hauled off the cream of the crop. They conquered it, put up a puppet king, 
hauled off men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and yes, Ezekiel. Now, Daniel and, the, and those other three guys all end up in the capital city of Babylon. Ezekiel ends up in some hick town. God sends Ezekiel to warn the Israelites, you keep doing it. You haven't learned. When it's all said and done, there won't be two stones left standing in Jerusalem, and that includes the temple. And so in the beginning of uh, the book of Ezekiel, we're told in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the 15th day of the month, when I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. So Ezekiel's 30 years old. He would have been able to function in the temple as a priest, but the temple's about to be destroyed and he's obviously been hauled off in exile. Continuing on to verse 2. On the fifth month of the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came in a dramatic way upon Ezekiel, the son of Buzi, the priest, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Ezekiel had no problem recognizing it was the word of the Lord, had no problem knowing he had been called to be a prophet. I get emails from people around our country. I think I'm getting prophecies from the Lord. No. Nope. <laughs> When people get prophecies from the Lord, they know it. When God calls them to be a prophet, they know it. And sometimes, even more often, I get emails and stuff from people, and I can tell they're not prophets from the Lord, even though they're claiming it, because they contradict the word of the Lord. Notice Ezekiel says, the word of the Lord came in a dramatic way upon him. In fact, it's just as a side note, in I don't want to get into the politics of it, but we know a little over two years ago during election, a lot of Christians claimed that they had prophecies from God that a particular man was going to be elected president and he lost the election. We got to apply the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to that. God says, if a prophet claims to be from me and what he says does not come true, then he's not from me. There are a lot of false teachers out there. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and he would not contradict the word because of that. And in today's text, it begins, again, uh, my own translation of the Hebrew, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. This is kind of like a vision. Then he caused me to rest in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he led me all around over them and beheld, there was an exceedingly large amount of bones on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were exceedingly dry. Then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? What's the obvious scientific answer? No. What's Ezekiel's answer? Sovereign Lord, you yourself know. Now, the two names that Ezekiel, trans that Ezekiel uses for Lord really emphasize a lot. I translate it sovereign Lord. But the first one really is master, Adonai in the Hebrew. It means God is the master of the universe. He created everything, including the scientific laws that are so helpful and beneficial to us that he can bend when he decides it's necessary. And the other name for Lord is that one from the Hebrew verb for being. It's the one that we often say Jehovah. That's the one that emphasizes nobody has any power over God. He exists in and of himself. So when he makes a promise, nobody can make him break it. He's absolutely faithful to his law, absolutely faithful to the good news of salvation in Christ, which is the gospel, absolutely faithful to his promises. Ezekiel's not being a smart aleck here when he says, Sovereign Lord, you yourself know. What he's saying is, it's humanly impossible. But your God, it's your creation, it's your will. If you determine, yes. If you determine, no, 
then no. So he continues, verse 4, Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones by saying to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. First of all, to prophesy. To properly be a prophet of the Lord means to tell his will. That can be in the past, that can be in the present, it can be in the future, and sometimes it's all three. God has said in the past, you've been unfaithful to the people of Israel. Uh, in the present, I've been disciplining you. In the future, I'm going to let the Babylonians have at you. That would be an example of all three being fulfilled. So to prophesy was to tell God's will, which would be to tell God's word. And God even specifically tells him, prophesy of these bones by saying to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Isn't it amazing? These bones don't have ears. They don't have any, everything that would uh, allow them to hear has been destroyed by the decay of time. The word gives us the ability to hear. We have a confirmation bias because without the new man that the Holy Spirit creates, when the word comes to us, we can only despise it. We can only think of something else. We can only mishear it. But the Holy Spirit works through the good news of salvation in Christ to give us the hearing as he would hear. Now, remember when Ezekiel was called back in chapter one, verse three, we're told the word of the Lord came in a dramatic way upon Ezekiel. How does the Lord give life to what has been dead a long time? God's already telling Ezekiel how he's going to do it. You're going to prophesy. Hence, you're going to proclaim my will. And you're going to do that by saying exactly what my word is. Verse five. The sovereign Lord said the following to these bones. Behold, I myself am causing breath. The Hebrew word for breath, wind and spirit are all the same word. Ruach. And sometimes it's hard to tell which way we're supposed to translate that because they're all involved to enter into you. And so you will live. And so I will place sinew upon you. Then I will cause flesh to grow upon you. Then I will spread skin over you. Then I will place breath in you. And so you will live. And then you bones will know that I am the Lord. How are these bones to come to life? It's God's will as expressed by God's word. It's God's word. The same word that the pre-incarnate Christ spoke when he said, let there be light. How can dry bones live? When it's God's will, it's his word that does it. So we're told in verse seven, so I prophesied just as I was commanded. Then there was a, no a noise when I prophesied and behold, a rattling and bones were coming together bone to bone. Then I looked and behold, there were sinews upon them and flesh grew and then skin spread upward over them. Yet there was no ruach, no spirit, no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the Ruach, the wind, the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind that the sovereign Lord says the following. Come, O wind, from the four winds and blow into these slain so that they will live. Again, we think of wind. Who's really giving life? It's the Holy Spirit. So no matter which way we translate it, it's the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit's going to work through that. Then I prophesied just as he commanded me. We've got to emphasize that. It wasn't Ezekiel's will. It wasn't Ezekiel deciding God needs a little help with his word to be colorful or psychological. Then I prophesied just as he commanded me. And so the wind entered into them. And then they lived and they stood upon their feet, a very great force. How does the Lord of life give life to what has been dead a long time? Clearly by his word. Now, 
the interpretation of this prophecy is given to us, and we want to understand that because we want to get his word right. So in verse 11, we're told, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are all the house of Israel. They are saying, Our bones have dried up, and so our hope has perished. We've been cut off against ourselves. Therefore prophesy and say to them that the sovereign Lord says the following, Behold, my people... I am opening your graves, and I will cause you to raise up from your graves. Then I will bring you into the land of Israel, O my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and when I cause you to rise up from your graves. Then I will place my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you upon your lands. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. A declaration from the Lord. God says, I've spoken, and I will do it. And then he says, a declaration from the Lord. God is saying, I'm really promising you this. God never breaks his promises. So the interpretation of this is the fact that there'd be many faithful people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezekiel, guys like Jeremiah who's who's left behind in Jerusalem looking at the destruction and going, oh no, it's gone. Is it all wiped out? No. No. God was promising them that even though it would look like the nation of Israel was completely destroyed, it would live. And we know that some 400 years later, Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And the region would have been settled again. And the temple would have been rebuilt, not to the glory of Solomon, but it was in a 40-year renovation process under Herod the Great, who, if he hadn't been renovating that temple, we would be better just to call him Herod the Awful. Now, Israel, the physical kingdom, was actually the invisible church meant to be visible. Most of the people in Israel were unfaithful. We can't read hearts. But the invisible church is made up of everyone who, in the Old Testament, trusted in the coming Savior. Since the Savior has come now, everyone who has and will trust in the Savior. We can't read hearts. And and we see that church made visible, as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, wherever two or three are gathered in my name. What makes us members of that invisible church? Our bones are dry. We are slaves to the devil when we're conceived. But the Holy Spirit works through the word. In my case, it was shared with me from, uh, right away from, by parents who were believers. In other cases, it's shared by friends and relatives coming or, and, and, and maybe co-workers and things. But the Holy Spirit works through that word to make what would be a dead body here and give that new person that is alive in Christ. And when that happens, you become a member of the invisible church. But the invisible church made visible in America today is dying. In fact, most of the visible churches that gather together do not even stay to the true proclamation of the word, which Ezekiel so emphasizes he kept to. The internet is full of people who fell away from the church, many who used to be youth ministers, and they'll go on about things in the Bible that they, that, that, that they disagree with and that are wrong according to their will. And lots of times they don't realize their church body may have taught and believed that, but it's not what Scripture was teaching. Oops. And when we look at the book of Revelation, chronologically the last book written in the Bible... It makes it very clear, you know, you've got seven churches that, that that's, it was originally sent to. Only one of them has the word right. The rest are screwing it up in one way or the other. And then it goes on in divisions that there'll be wars, rumors of wars, famines, plagues. 
And yes, the church will be persecuted from within itself. Yes, within those who claim to be Christians and without from other governments. And it will constantly appear like it is dying and dead. But Christ won that victory on the cross. And on Judgment Day, it will see. The world will see that victory. So when it seems like the church is dying... People will often run to things that are not the Word of God. Coffee bars, entertainment, maybe if we stand up and bow enough times and cross ourselves, maybe if we froth at the mouth and roll around. Some of those things are neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. And coffee bars are just fine. But if that's the emphasis, that's not what gives life. It's the Word when it's properly taught. So the one thing we can never compromise, and I say even now, Sermons used to be two hours long, then they got to be 45 minutes long a hundred years ago, then 30. Then in my lifetime, because people's attention spans got to be 15 to 18 minutes, and now you hear like with TikTok and stuff, people's attention spans are getting to be six minutes. Maybe we might have to change the way we proclaim that word. Not the word we proclaim. Maybe we proclaim it for five minutes and sing a hymn, stanza, proclaim it for... Those things can change, but having the word right cannot change. That's what keeps the church alive. The one thing we cannot compromise is the faithful proclamation of that word. And there's something that also goes on even in Lutheran pulpits where they quote Luther instead of the word. They quote their favorite church body theologians. And if a quote from the word of God comes, it's because the person they're quoting happens to have it. No, that's exactly what led to the mess that needed the Reformation. It's why we train our pastors to tear the word down in its original languages and then put it back together and apply it so they can say, Amen, this is a faithful proclamation. How does the Lord give life to what has long been dead? Clearly by his word. The prophecy was that invisible Israel was not dead and it would be visible again. And we apply the same to the New Testament church, the invisible church. But what about you? What about each individual person that makes up the, that invisible church? In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, the Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, I've appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, you must give them a warning from me. When I announce to a wicked man, you shall surely die if you do not warn him and you do not speak up to warn the wicked man against his wicked way so that he can live, then the wicked man will die because of his guilt and I will hold you responsible for his blood. But you, if you warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die because of his guilt, but you will have saved your own life. Or when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and becomes unrighteous, and I place a stumbling block in front of him, he shall die. If you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered, and I will hold you responsible for his blood. But you, if you do warn that righteous man not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall certainly live because he heeded the warning, and you will have saved your own life. These words ring in my ear every Sunday as I write a sermon. Sometimes we can get confused as to what we have called a pastor to do. We can think it's to lead voters meetings and to be a secretary and print things and to make sure potlucks get organized and fundraisers. No. First and foremost, and this is those other things are sidelights that it's to make sure that the word is being taught, both the law, which shows us our sin, and the good news of salvation in Christ, the gospel, which washes our sins away in the blood of Christ. 
And what about you? As Peter makes abundantly clear in, the, in his second chapter to his first epistle, you are a priest. When God opens the door for you to warn your neighbor, and boy, today, we are getting confused, and there are things we claim are good science that science proves is not good science. My neighbor's confused. They need the law. Even more so, they need to know where to run to for he, the healing balm, which is the blood of Christ. If you decide you're an introvert, you're just too quiet, well, if I, if I talk to my neighbor and I show them their, that, that, where, that they need a Savior, which means to show them their sin, I could lose my job. I could be hated in the neighborhood. God says, if I've opened the door for you and you don't warn your neighbor, I'll hold you accountable as well. That's law motivation. God has put his Holy Spirit in our heart, giving us a new man so that we have received the blood of Christ, so that God's love has literally been built into that new person who can only love God. Yes, we still have a sinful nature that does the opposite until Christ returns. But that new person doesn't do that out of law motivation. It does it because God loves you, and therefore God's love is in your heart, and therefore you love your neighbor. It's important that we get the word right and that we share it with our neighbor. And when we do, we are blessed. God uses you to give new life to your neighbor. And if they're already a believer, to encourage them and nourish that new life. Now, again, this prophecy was about Israel being preserved. But when we hear those dead bones coming together, we cannot help but to think of that last day. That last day when even Adam and Eve will be raised from their tombs. Think about that. As he said in verse 13, O my people, then you will know that I am the Lord. Now when you die, your soul goes to heaven when you're a believer. And so you already know that he is Lord. But even the unbelievers on judgment day when Christ comes back and shouts those words, everybody's going to be raised. Why? Because he's God. It's his word. Those who rejected him will know they rejected a gracious, loving God. And it's their fault. Those who did not reject him will know they loved a gracious, loving God because he loved them first. He's given birth to you as part of his bride, the invisible church, which has nourished you. And you know, therefore, no matter what happens in this life, through that word, he will raise you up on the last day. How does the Lord give life to what has been dead a long time? Through the faithful proclamation of his life-giving word. And so we can look at Lord of Lords Lutheran Church and you know uh, there are times we may wonder as things people get sick and people move with energy busts, are we dying? We can look at the invisible church made visible in America and ask are we dead? Are we living like a bunch of funeral mourners? Are we watching our neighbors waste away and remaining silent? No. We have God's life-giving word which opens up dead ears that they hear and gives life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now God will fully supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.